stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. guys and welcome back to another week of the get off the bench podcast now guess what Woo-hoo! this is my 100th episode and i know i talk to a lot of people and they're up to their you know 300th and 400th and god knows what but i'm up to 100 and i reckon that is fantastic so i was thinking what do i do for my 100th episode and um as usual i've kind of left everything to the last minute Somebody was saying to me yesterday, you know, you need to get somebody to interview you. And that's all well and good, but within 24 hours, um, that's not enough time to find somebody to... You do that, and do I get someone who already knows me so they know what to draw out of me, or do I just get a perfectly good stranger who uh, just thinks, oh, who is this, Karen, and what could we ask? Anyway, the end result is I didn't do it I didn't ask anybody um, I didn't want to to be honest I didn't want to put anybody under pressure so I started thinking about well a lot of people have asked me questions over time but in the last I don't know about maybe six weeks I've had quite a few questions that have you know been sort of meaningful so what I thought I might do is um, I thought I might just like interview myself (laughs) with uh, the questions that have been asked of me and also I just went down to the post office and I got this uh, awesome pack of cards and sort of like um, deep talk cards and so I thought wow what perfect timing because I'm going to just um, open the box which I have done right here and I'm just going to randomly pull out some cards and I don't know if I'm going to talk for 15 minutes or an hour. I really don't know. But um, I'm just going to have a have a lovely old chat to myself and yeah, pretend I'm on, um, I don't know, Fox FM. Well, how about we do that? Anyway, um, and, and as I go along, I'm sure I'm going to come up with a lot of things. And so I've picked the questions that are probably most people are interested in and they're the most consistent questions that I keep getting asked. So we might as well start uh, right at the top and which is how did you get into Get Off The Bench? I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that. What's what's the story? What's the journey? How did you end up deciding Get Off The Bench is the thing that you want to do? And while we're on that, I am going to say that it is a thing I want to do, but it might not be the last. And I, I think that we have a bit of a um, I don't know, a misconception that, you know, we're, we're going to, when I do this, I'm going to be happy. And when I finish, when I land in this space, I will have succeeded. And I think we put these finite sort of measurements on things. And 
for me, get off the bench. It's something I'm doing now. Um, I hope that the whole theme of it, you know, inspiring people to take action is, is something that I do for the rest of my life and I can't see why I wouldn't. But it, perhaps over time it'll take a different turn and be called something different. But how I got there, it's, um, you know, and I, sometimes you get tired of telling your own story and you kind of think, oh, I don't know if people want to hear it or how many times have they heard it and am I just repeating myself? But, you know... I'll, I'll try and keep it as short as I can, but basically, yeah, you know, I was living the rock star life thinking that I was the um, best thing since sliced bread, um, you know, had all these uh, what I would call adoring fans throwing their undies at me, not quite true, but, you know, and I thought I was a bit of, um, you know, I thought I was a bit of a kingpin actually, and because when I was younger, you know, I was an inventor and everyone just used to laugh at what I was inventing and and fair enough because they're pretty stupid like a guitar string stretcher so that I would take old old strings off a guitar and had this plank of wood with um, bulldog clips at either end and I used to you know take off a rusty old string and I'd put it on there and I'd think I'll save that for later so so rightly so that people might have laughed but in the laughing what happened was I was interpreting that that you know I, I was I had stupid ideas, you know, that I wasn't, wasn't, my ideas weren't worth it. Basically, you know, one, I had a rock collection and a, a, one of my teachers in grade three said, what, they fall out of your head, did they, Vaughnie? And I can't tell you how much that buddy hurt, you know, and it's, I was so proud of this rock collection. And it's things like that, that accumulate over time. And, you know, they really, they really make who you are today. And I'm going to talk about that eventually because I know I know one of the questions is going to lead to something I did last week but anyway I think that being a rock star you know and all that kind of stuff I I didn't have to put up with um, people laughing or people poo-pooing my ideas I was just you know basically I was in heaven I was on stage and I was just the bee's knees and I was getting all this attention and um, it was satisfying that you know it made me feel good about myself so I did that and um, funny enough I got kicked out of the school choir in in primary school because I couldn't sing and I got kicked out of the school musical in uh, form two because I couldn't sing and um, but I went on to make thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars singing so sometimes there's there's a lesson in that too sometimes people can tell you that you can't do something and you know, the truth is you can. And so sometimes you do have to just push that little bit harder. The bottom line to that is that my why was really strong because I wanted to be on stage no matter what. And that was so important to me. Had, you know, my, my heroes, Peter Frampton and Kiss and my God, I wanted to be like them. And so I was living this life that, you know, was quite, a, quite adoring and, you know, everything else. And, and uh, I remember, you know, I was playing at a Leisure Centre and I had a phone call as from Michelle, my the middle sister of us five girls, and she said that Carolyn, the next sister down, had been diagnosed with cancer. And you know, immediately, oh, this is how humans have got such a stinking negative bias about stuff. We're not very rational when our emotions get peaked. And you know, I didn't see the C word for cancer or perhaps cure. You know that sort of thing. I only saw the the letter D for death and. Bloody, it really shook me to the core. And, you know, I, I had to end up 
had to finish the gig, you know, and believe it or not, the next song I got up to sing after my break was bloody knocking on heaven's door and by, by, geez, was that hard to, hard to get out, but so then it all sort of sunk in and then I went on this, I guess, a five-year bender, you know, um, how am I going to save her life? And being the oldest in the family, I, I, that was my responsibility. Another false belief, do you know, that I'm the oldest, I'm the protector, uh, I've got to do everything I can to protect everybody. And they even had a name for me, my sister, Smokey Bear. You know, when we go camping, I was the one that always had to do, like the OHS officer, you know, to make sure everyone was safe. And it's kind of funny, but, um, you know, when I look back at it, I think, God, I must have been annoying. But so I, I, I decided that it was my job, you know, I had to save her life. And, you know, I got to a point even I employed a, a witch doctor, you know, because um, normal medicine wasn't working and I just sort of had a grasp at any straws, what can I do? Anyway, she um, she didn't make it. So effectively, in my mind, that was, well, I didn't save her. Um, I'm a failure. Which is, if you if you think about it, that's just bloody ridiculous, and it's not the truth. Um, and any rational person could, you know, figure that out. But that that was how I felt, and so I'm kind of, you know, I went and worked in a nursery so I could hide behind the plants and no one could see me. And anyway, that didn't work. I ended up locking the boss in a shed, and yeah, she got out. I saw I saw her a few days later in a, in the uh, supermarket. So that 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 didn't work. That was not successful either. <laughs> but anyway, um, so then I ended up, you know, the, the community sort of gathered around me and said, do you want to come and do, um, get on the committee for the Real Life for Life, you know, which is the the Cancer Council um, event, you know, to raise money for cancer awareness. So I did that and I overachieved and I took on three roles. And anyway, the, the, the thing was, though, is that it was so successful and people were telling me, wow, my God, what a great job you did. And, you know, I'd never actually... I probably have, but it was the first time I really noticed that I was receiving that kind of um, praise and it wasn't the praise that, man, I'm good, you know, I, I need this attention, I need to hear someone to say I'm good. It wasn't that so much as it was the, um, you know, the, the how good it felt to be altruistic and, and know that I could make a massive difference to people. So... Um, and then, it, you know, that kind of set me on a bit of a journey. You know, I started to do things for people, be a little bit more, um, you know, not so focused on me and what could I do for others. And it felt really good. But I still didn't find my feet completely until, um, you know, 10 years later when I was, you know, quite, a, quite an outspoken animal rights activist and um, I was really pissing people off, you know, and... I was making some really harsh statements at people and d didn't quite figure that had I just led by example, uh, which I did later on, you know, other people might follow. But I was a significant headbutter and that didn't work so well. And at the same time, I was, um, I had ended up in this, in this 10 year period, I decided I wanted to, to go and um, work with dis people with disabilities. It's something I wanted to do when I was a kid, you know. So I ended up doing that and very soon I started teaching it and, you know, became a specialist in autism and behaviour. And what I noticed was a lot of people 
were saying to me, fix these kids. And I, God, that was upsetting me. It's like the kids aren't broken. The system's broken. And don't get me on that that path. Lucky that I'm only talking to myself because I might be able to keep myself off there without being egged on by somebody else. Um, the kids just aren't in the right system that caters for them. So, um, you know, people saying that and plus um, me trying to beat adults into veganism and, you know, animal rights and God knows what, which wasn't, wasn't working at all. I decided, you know what, kids, kids are the answer. Kids respect that more. They listen. Um, kids are stronger than what we think. Kids are better than what we think. We're not giving them a chance. So anyway, I ended up deciding that uh, I want to promote the strengths in kids. So I wrote my first book, Magnificent Kids. And it's about 23 superheroes who changed the world. You know, before the age of 18 and I was 50, my God, what a kick in the ass they gave me. It's like, you know, some of them were like meeting with the Vietnamese government and, and some had TV shows. Another guy, uh, you know, invented a pancreatic test strip that was better than what was already on the market in the medical realm. And oh my God, these kids were just unbelievable. Anyway, long story short, um, I had my book launch and a guy in Africa saw my book and said I want to start can I have that book so I sent it over and he said I want to start a magnificent class you know I jumped in said great and um, ended up on this big uh, journey you know starting One Planet Classrooms as a not-for-profit supporting Africa and I started as a Skype project and you know then I tried to get laptops to Africa and wow what a what a nightmare what a what a disaster you know not only was it you it's just a hell of a disaster but you know and I'm going to be positive about that in a second but this is the truth about it uh what I didn't even realize that the kids in in Australia weren't even because I wanted them to Skype like a pen pal project and but the kids in Australia were in bed when the kids in Africa were awake and like what a dick I never even thought of that you know I was sort of well over a year into this project and didn't even think about that and it wasn't until the laptops landed that I thought, oh, hell, how's this going to work? And further to that is the fact that I sent laptops to a country where 95% of them don't even have power. So I love telling that story because it's really, really talks about failure and it talks about, um, oh, you know, how we see failure as such a bad thing. But I, th- I think failure is a bloody fantastic thing even though I don't like it, you know, it sometimes hurts your heart and you, sometimes you feel like a bloody reject and that you're, you're no good and you know, there's a lot of feelings that come with failure but if we can somehow put those feelings aside a little bit, it's, it's incredible because in that time that I was waiting to get the laptops over there, I was talking to so many, I guess, teachers, the head teachers and principals from the school, they were telling me how schools, and they were telling me how girls go fetch the water and, you know, some of them are only as young as three and they get sexually assaulted while going to get the water. They're, they're getting water from um, dirty ponds that the that animals are peeing in and men are peeing in. They're full of worms and they're dying and teenagers are swapping sex for sanitary pads. And oh, you know, the, the more I delved into it, the more I learned about it, I was just bloody mortified. I thought... I guess it's, it's funny, isn't it, that we've got such a, oh, I don't know, we, we we think we're educated and we think we know what's going on in other parts of the world and we see a little bit on the news or on um, social media or something and well, we, we think we're so bloody knowledgeable. But 
I didn't realise it was so so bloody sinister and these girls were just, you know, just facing this horrendous crap every single day just trying to get clean water. And so I decided, well, bugger it. If I can't do the Skype program, I'm just going to put water into schools and solar systems and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, it, it's just ended up, you know, with blocks of land for women's empowerment projects and and water tanks and solar systems and water wells and clean water to villages and a student sponsorship program and all that sort of stuff, which I'm really proud of. But I've got to say, COVID has um, COVID's given it a fair hiding. But um, anyway, it, it's still there. And so being focused on the girls thing, I, then I was at an International Women's Day event, coaching a table. I saw a card on the table that said, I will launch a purposeful female-focused initiative. Got up on stage, told 300 women. They all cheered. I got down off the stage and thought, holy shit, now I've got to do it. And so uh, Girls with Hammers started, and Girls with Hammers is not woodwork. It's um, uh, women's empowerment. And so, you know, we, we have got so much to do um, that's coming up once COVID goes away, which is retreats, um, personal development retreats, writing your next chapter, you know, that kind of stuff. And also going to places like Cambodia to help build girls' toilets and things. So there's a lot on the horizon, but at the moment we've mostly been concentrating on our conferences for the last few years. So that's been fantastic. And so doing all these projects and finally stepping into me um, and you know, realising that the power that I've got, which we've all got, by the way, to actually make a difference and to change the world. Uh, you know, I started being invited to conferences and to, to talk about my projects and my journey. And one of the uh, at the Hero Roundtable in Yarra, Matt Langdon asked me, hey, would you do a, a workshop on starting a project? And I was kind of like, as we all do, why me? Why me? You know, I don't know much about it. Anyway, long story short, I did it. There's a few long story shorts you're going to hear today. So I I did it and it was only an hour. And as I was going, I was thinking, oh, man, I've got to tell you about this. I've got to tell you about that. There's not enough time. If you give me your email, I'll um, send you some more information and uh, on a PDF and in a PDF. So when I come home, I thought, yeah, I'll do that PDF. And it ended up four weeks later, I had a book and which was get off the bench and when I look back at it now, I look at some bits and I think, ah, I haven't really communicated that as well as I thought, as well as what was going on in my mind. And I've often thought, you know, should I rewrite it? Should I redo it? And then I, I, I keep thinking, no, bugger it, don't. You know, like it's an achievement, move on. So many people have told me that book has kickstarted their goal, whatever that is, or their project. And, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, I've got this attitude that if something I do um, brings changes in one person's life, then that's success. So it's done way more than that. So... Anyway, so then I just turned it into workshops and, and then uh, and I started doing the podcast in April 2020, which, you know, whole bloody other, a whole bloody other nightmare there. You know, I wanted to launch it on the start of 2020, the 1st of January. Uh, my youngest sister, Kate, on the three days before Christmas, which is only a couple of weeks before I wanted to launch it, had a cardiac arrest. She survived, thank God, with with absolutely no damage. Um, I don't know how, but she she did. 
And, you know, then the bushfires and up in East Gippsland. And oh, I've talked about this so many times. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows damn well how much that affected me. And, uh, you know, the, the, the animals, the koalas. And here I am. I'm just, the more I say it, the more I'm going to lead myself down this bloody path. But anyway, I, I won't. But it, it really tore the heart out of me. And I couldn't even focus on a bloody podcast. And then COVID hit. And then I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, there's never going to be a perfect time and you know I really got to get that message to people too there never is a perfect time and if you sit around waiting for it it's not going to come so you might as well just push through and just get the thing done I mean clearly you've got to be in a good um you know mentally healthy place you know to to do things but and and so I just started it and I'm never going to look back so that's a story of get off the bench it's quite a long one but um that that's where that's how I got to where I am today, and um, you know the the, the next question was uh, what do you love about doing the podcast? So that's quite a good segue into that question, and that's um, I I just love meeting all the amazing people in this world. I mean I've only interviewed a hundred, well ninety no ninety eight because I did the first episode and I'm doing the hundredth, and. There are there there are thousands upon thousands of, of incredible people in the world. In fact, millions because billions. In fact, we've we've all got a story. Every single person has got an amazing story, and I get to spend an hour with these people, talking about deep stuff and really hearing their journey. And and you know, and I know for a fact that I can contact any one of those people and say, hey, I'm coming over to US or wherever you are, you know, I might come stay with you for a couple of days and that would be fine. And the same for people coming here. Do you know, it's I've built built relationships with them that might not be frequent or all over each other, but they're there and they're solid simply because of just spending a good, solid, caring hour with people. So I'm bloody wrapped and that's what I get out of it. And I just think that, and, and not only that, I've heard so many people have said to me, oh, that episode, oh my God, you know what? That's the episode that inspired me to blah, blah, blah. And when I hear that, I'm just, oh God, that that just, that's everything. That's everything. So um, there's another question here that is about the podcast and the perfect segues actually um, how do you how do you put it out there not knowing who's listening? That is such a good question because right now I'm just sitting here talking to myself and, and it could be that everyone looks at my next one that comes up and goes, oh, bloody hell, it's just Karen. I can't be stuffed listening to that. And, and in fact, maybe no one will listen to it. I, I, if you're listening to it, thank you because uh, at least someone is. But I think that you can't, you can't, Spend your life thinking, uh, I want, like doing it for the reaction, I guess, or, you know, doing it for the metrics and saying, oh, I wonder who's listening and am I wasting my time? The, the fact is I feel fantastic. Every single episode I do, I feel fantastic. I learn something more. I become a better person. The person on the line that I'm talking to feels seen and heard and valued. And you know what? If no one else listens, if nobody else gets into that moment, 
then the two of us have grown. And if the two of us grow in a like a synergenic et- energy, we're putting that out into the world and it's rippling out there, this beautiful energy, and it's got to touch other people, even if they don't listen to the podcast. So, you know, it is so bloody important to do what you love and just do it with gusto, um, no matter who's listening or no matter who's getting benefit, as long as you're doing good, you know, as long as there's a, a good intent, just keep going. And I often get um, messages too that s- sort of come from left to field and, and really surprise me. Like Nikki will come home, my partner comes home and she says, oh, I was talking to so-and-so. They were telling me about your um, episode with whoever and they said, you know, that really touched them because they've got a brother that's going through that or something. And I don't even know these people, you know, that she's telling me. And it's it's it really warms my heart that it's actually made somebody else feel like they're not alone. And my God, that's important. And I was doing a conference just recently and... Um, I was I was MC and I did a keynote and and I talked about this and one of the women who was listening it was an online event she typed in the chat Karen you're my walking partner every morning and I was like oh wow that's so cool but that had a profound impact on me because I thought about that over and over and over and I still think about it you know that how 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 important what we do is and how we're always um I guess looking for validation you know and we try something and we don't get the validation so we quit and we give up and you know we question whether what we're doing is important but I, I think don't do that you know and, and I question it too don't get me wrong you know some days I'm like oh, I don't know if I, if I should do this and then all those things come back into my mind but what about the woman that, that takes you for a walk every morning what about the person who, who who's they got their their brother was something to do with that episode and what about the person who this and that and and it, it makes me show up and I'm going to tell you that COVID has knocked us all about I've never had mental health problems and I still don't however uh, COVID has really made me a lot more fragile in that department than I've ever been in my life and so doing the podcast makes me show up every week it, it's something that just I have to do whether I want to do it or not and I, and I kind of look at it like there's someone out there depending on this next episode and it, it it's it's a thing that really keeps me going it's the most consistent thing I've got um, as far as work you know stuff that I do out for the put out for the universe so I have to keep going so so um, that's how I put it out there without knowing who's actually listening Um, another thing is to you seem to be uh, extremely resilient how wow you know sometimes I don't feel that Um, but when I stop and think I am actually resilient it's you know that act of just continually getting back up and continually being knocked down and continually getting back up and I I have known that I've been resilient for many 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 years and I've known that it's my key strength I haven't really delved into why until recently it was probably only I probably a year ago I started thinking about this and thought what is it that makes people resilient you know what makes them get back up and, and I know there's probably a thousand factors and it's all to do with our experiences and our personality types and you know 
culture and all and families and all sorts of stuff but there's one underlying thing that I see in a lot of people that um, I, I believe are really resilient and that is optimism that's that um, I, I guess that that belief that things are, there's always something better coming you know there's always something going to be around the corner and you know, you know, I, th- I, th- I can't explain it any better than that. It's just that belief that there's something else around the corner, and it's just being optimistic about that. You know, no matter how shitty things might be in the moment, it's just believing that something better is around the corner. And sometimes it's not, but I don't know. I, I, that's to me. I think that's what keeps me. Well, no, I don't think. I know that's what keeps me getting up every time. Is I, I just, I just believe in that. Um, now we've also got here <laughs> what what's not working so well. Now that's a bloody good question because uh, a lot of people, and I do get this a lot. I'm not making this up. It's not, and it's not just a, a lot of people. It's it is a lot of people make comments to me like, "Oh, you just got, you seem to have the Midas touch. It's like everything you you, you do, it, you're just starting a new project, and off it goes, and it's successful." and I I got to tell you that couldn't be further from the truth, and there's no such thing as an overnight success. And and you know, by God, God, I work hard at some stuff, and there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make it. And something that's um, really not working well for me at the moment is I developed a kindness program for primary schools, which, in my opinion, and um, we need kindness. Uh, more than anything out there at the moment and and again I'm going back to well, let's teach the kids because if we can get kids being kind and you know they bring that into their adulthood we're going to be better off and so I made this pilot program and I've put it out to schools and even that was hard I didn't get as many people grabbing at that as I thought I, I thought a lot of schools would be wow, yeah, that's, God, that's what we need, you know, and it was because a school in Canberra approached me, um, if I, you know, could help them, and I just happened to be thinking about this program, because I'm, well, very slowly writing a book on kindness, but um, the schools that I have had come to me to say, yeah, I'd really like to do that, they haven't been able to do it, because the kids are in school for two weeks and they're out for another two and then they're in for another three and out for another four and it just hasn't, it's been relentless. And it's a five-week program that has to sort of, has to kind of run in sequence over five weeks and that that's just been a, a I'm not going to say a flop because it's not a flop and it will kick off, you know, once school gets, once, once we get over this shit, you know, it'll be fine, it'll be great. But that, that's been, that hasn't been working very well at all. And that's been a real, a real bugbear for me, just sitting there in the background and not blaming the teachers, not blaming anyone. It's just that, that wow, it, it's a tough, it's a tough gig sometimes. Things don't work. So that's what's um, not working so well. And then the next question is, what are you currently, what else are you working on? That's... I'm working on three things this year, as as well as so I so you know I am I'm a disc consultant. I absolutely love disc, and that's you know for personality types. And the reason I love that above all the other, um, I you know personality. Uh, now I can't think of the right word, but personality tests and behaviour tests and stuff is a lot of the other ones are 
very focused on you. You know, you do it and you go, oh, this is all about me. This is fantastic. And, and it, we all, let's face it, we all want to know about ourselves. We all love, let's say, our favourite subject is ourselves. But what I love about DISC is, is that it's very, very focused on the interactions between you and other people. And, and I, I freaking love that. So, so I do that. I'm also doing, um, you know, get off the bench and helping people kickstart projects. And, um, I, you know, I do um, a lot of leadership work. But apart from that, something that I'm, I've decided to really kick in this year is, uh, is three things. And one is team building. And, you know, somebody asked me last year, you know, do you do team building? And I'm kind of like, nah, not really. You know, I've, I've done my time doing that. I don't know. I've, I've done enough of it. And then I kind of felt like, you're an idiot, Karen. Like, you do that so well. You know, it like the back of your hand, you have everybody in that room energized and bloody in an electric state and it's so freaking good and really focusing on building stronger relationships why the hell wouldn't you do that if people are needing that why wouldn't you do it and and sometimes we can be real dickheads like that we don't really we don't really see what it is that we bring and we kind of like, ah oh, nah you know that, that's not what I'm doing now so therefore I'm not I'm not good enough or some some crap we feed ourselves but I do know how damn good I am at that. So this year I'm saying, well, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. And if anyone wants it, buddy, yell out because, you know, I, I want to bring – teams are so disjointed at the moment. We've got to do everything we can to bring them back. So I'm doing that and I'm absolutely loving it. Another thing I'm doing is confidence, uh, a courageous confidence workshop, which is half a day and then I do a full day one, which is a lot more in-depth and a lot more reflection it's it's really fantastic teaching people confidence techniques and you know really exploring um why we lack confidence or why we think we do and how we can overcome it um even though we think we can't so it's it's um i really love that and how that came about was (laughs) again really stupid and really not not sort of not noticing the cues when I was work teaching disability, you know, this was 16 years ago, 17 years ago, and people were saying all the time, oh, I wish I was confident like you. How do you become more confident? Oh, if only I had confidence. Blah, blah, blah. Always talking about confidence, and I was always helping them. And then going through a whole lot of other things, you know, helping people become confident. And then with Get Off The Bench, oh, I don't know how I missed this. I, did, I, did, I didn't join the dots, but everyone says... When I'm confident, I don't have the confidence. You know, I just want some confidence. I'm just not confident to... My God, it took me God knows how many years to join the dots and go, holy shit, wait a second. That's what I've got to do. Because the work that I'm doing, confidence is the biggest bloody barrier. So so this year I've launched, launched um, confidence programs and also a confidence um, coaching program for mostly aimed at um, emerging or aspiring women leaders, you know, who are, who are not applying for jobs because um, um, a lack of confidence, but also for women in jobs who are in these leadership positions and feel like they're not really living up to their potential because they don't have the confidence. So, so I've put that out there this year. And the other thing is two years ago, right before COVID, I... Um, developed a program for organizations to do as a as a leadership program do um, community projects and so you, know, you might get 10 of them say in the organization and you know 10 leaders or 10 aspiring leaders or whatever and it goes for you know basically it goes for the for the year or minimum six months but hopefully longer and you 
What they do is they, they design a project, they design a community project, you know, we, with, in consultation with stakeholders in the community and what have you, and we work our way through it and then, you know, they, and they support each other and at the, and with, with regular catch-ups with me and regular Zooms and that kind of stuff. And then at the end, they, after they've done the event and at the end of the thing, they present it and they do a report on the outcomes and stuff like that and talk about leadership, like, you know, a lot of people think if you're a manager, you're a leader. I'm going to call crock of shit on that because there's a lot of managers I know that aren't freaking leaders. But but there are a lot of people out there that are not in any role, um, any role that you would call a leader or a manager, and they have got incredible leadership qualities. And so I'm pulling these people out or I'm wanting organisations to pull these people out and give them a chance to, to, show, to show the leadership, uh, leadership ability that they've got because... Man, why wouldn't you? Because they love what they're doing. They feel good. You know, if they were disengaged before, they're not now because, by God, their organisation is supporting them to do these community projects. How bloody fantastic. And then, you know, if you do it as a yearly thing, you start to become an employer of choice. People want to be there because I want to go and work for them because I get to do a community project. I mean... You know, anyway, I shelved it. Two years ago, I shelved it because COVID hit and I started telling myself bullshit in my head. Who's going to want to do this? You know, we're not allowed out of our houses. Um, we're never going to be able to do community projects because everyone's shut down. And uh, maybe, maybe that's true. But I just kind of canned it. And at the end of um, last year, I thought I'm pulling that back out again because it's too good. It, it shouldn't be sitting on my desk. It needs to be in action and it, we need to get moving. And so... You know, it's not just for organisations, as it can be for schools or anywhere. But so that's what I'm working on um, this year. They're my they're my three focus points for this year, and of course, as well as a podcast. So, you know, many people again have told me, "You never tell us what you do. You do your podcast, and you're always promoting the person that's on the other end, and you're always the greatest cheerleader for them." But you never never tell us what you do. So, um. So now you know, that's what I do and I freaking love it. And if you want me to come and work in your organisation, buddy, yell out because it's never dull, it's always fun, it's 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 done with a lot of compassion, a lot of empathy and probably uh, definitely laugh and probably cry and, you know, people walk out of that room with something they can remember forever because when I was a teacher I learnt that you can fill people's head with information and they'll remember it for 10 minutes, maybe 10 days. But you fill people with an experience and they'll never forget it and they'll change forever. So that's what I'm going to bring to you if you want it. So that's enough about self-promotion because I've never been very good at that. Oh, there's one more question. What's the latest thing you've been doing in self-development? Last week I did an emotional timeline and boy, by God, Father, you should have seen all these emotional spikes all the way up until, I know, maybe about age 30. And then it all went good. And then in the last four years, it's gone to shit again. And when I look at it, in the last four years, I've moved house, I've lost um, seven animals I've had to put down. And everyone knows animals is my my life. Um, uh, they've just been... Oh, COVID, the bushfires. Um, yeah, it's it, my my work. You know, most people in my position as a facilitator, our work kind of just really got shut down. And and for the for the work that remained, it was kind of pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. So, the last four years has been shit. But what this has enabled me to do, and by the way, I did it with Daniel Tolson, and I'm going to interview him in a couple of weeks and have him on and talk about this process. 
what it got me to be able to see is that, okay, so why is there that section in the middle that I did so well? And after really thinking about it, because I've brought it up, I've brought it out now, I've written all these emotional things that happen along all my life, through all my life, it's amazing. And so what I realized in the blue section is that, the good section, is that in that time I had a voice. I felt seen, I felt heard, I felt valued. Um, I was having positive influence on people. I was having a lot of impact on people. I was, I was really, really living free and nobody was suppressing my thoughts or my, well, not my, so much my thoughts, but nobody was suppressing my voice. Um, I'd already come out, you know, and I was like, well, now I don't have any secrets so I can just buddy start talking, I can just be free. And so that was a real eye-opening thing to see. And the other eye-opening thing to see was that all the way through my life, is it's just littered with guilt. Guilt for putting an animal down. Guilt for saying something to somebody. Guilt for, I should have done this. I could have done that. I shouldn't have done that. You know, and it's, it's just all bloody guilt, which is a really low frequency to, to be carrying around forever. And it's a wonder I'm not bloody sick. But just seeing that, just just seeing that on paper for once, with get off the bench, everything I say is get it out of your head, onto paper and into action. But, you know, I'd, I hadn't done that for myself and this gave me the opportunity. And seeing it on paper, I was just seeing all these guilt uh, markers and it was like, oh, far out. You know, I've, this is really bad. But then rather than judge it as good or, good or bad, what I'd been doing this week, um, or you know, over the last maybe, yeah, maybe over the last week, was sitting there and and looking at each individual guilt point and saying, wait a second, no, screw that, I am not going to wear that. I'm not wearing that. That was not my fault, and I am not going to carry shit for something I didn't do. And it it it, it I. There's no way, and even if I feel I made a mistake, I didn't have the strategies, the coping strategies or mechanisms or the tools to actually do it any differently than I did. You know, I just didn't have the capacity to make a better choice and I made the best choice I could in that moment. So what's been fantastic about this is I've been able to start to pick open all these bloody narky little things that have been sort of accumulating over time and turning me into one big guilt ball and now I'm starting to be able to break away and um, start snapping away at that. And, oh, you know, that's been fantastic. And, I've, by the way, I've been on a, a self-development, a really deep self-development journey for the last two years. And it's been one of those things that I've kind of avoided, you know, not feeling good enough, um, not feeling worth it, not not feeling like I had any value and uh, you know, just a whole lot of shit, you know, the, it was one of those silent things, you know, those things that we never tell anyone, we, we pretend we have, we pretend that nothing worries us and, you know, we put on a big bloody bravado, but deep down we're thinking I'm just not good enough and, and I'm not the only one who thinks that, a lot of people think that and, you know, I, I realised two years ago that, and, and I think that the bushfires triggered me, this whole and COVID, it triggered me to go, you know what, I'm stuck at home now and I'm I'm stuck in an office with myself all day. There's no escaping. There's no sort of people to bounce off to make jokes and to ignore and stuff down all the things that I'm trying to have been for 50 bloody years. So um, I started I started exploring it and I've got to say that I'm not finished yet, but uh, I, the things I've sort of 
um, opened up about myself have been incredible and I'm much more vulnerable than I have been ever and you know I'm sitting in a lot more humility than I ever have and you know I'm while I've got a long way to go to express my deepest darkest emotions um you know, I'm, I'm really proud of myself. So if, if that was a question, which it isn't, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud that I actually started a journey to, to truly dig into who I am and what my beliefs are and, you know, what's been driving me all this time that that actually isn't me. And it's been suffocating my true potential and suffocating who I really am. And so anyway, that's that. And I'm hoping that... You know, as I go further and further ahead, I'm just going to uh, more and more potential will open up, which is what I live for to unlock the magnificence in everybody. So let's hope I can unlock my own. Now, I've been talking for about 45 minutes and I don't know whether anyone's still listening to me and whether this is exciting or not. Um, but I'll probably I've got this deck of cards and I'm thinking I might just pick three and then and call it quits and because I reckon I've spoken enough actually but but I'm really keen to get into the cards and you'll probably probably want to as well want to hear what they are so um the first one what does humanity completely misunderstand well holy hell I did have to pick the biggest one didn't I I, I think we don't understand the interconnection I really don't I think that um, humans think they're better than everybody else every other species humans think that they're um, so more superior and more intelligent than animals I think that's the biggest crock of shit that people live with I think that animals are far superior to humans and you know if you put us out in the paddock we can't bloody live but everyone else can all the other species can and I think that we don't actually understand that the interconnection and the interwovenness between and I say this on my website, you know, one one people, one love, one behind it. You know, we're all one. We're all bloody one. That should say one animals too, but it puts some people off. But it's just every living thing, you know, the, the whole planet, the animals, humanity, we're all one. It, it's all just energy and we are so interwoven that we need to understand this and we don't and this is why humans trash the freaking planet and that's one of the things that pisses me off to the core is we just think we've got all these resources that we can just rape and pillage and we friggin haven't and we're so damn selfish and so that's the thing I think the humanity completely misunderstands gee I really got the big card didn't I and really went into a to a, a an absolute rave about that um let me see what else what conversation do you need to have what conversation do you need to have to set yourself free? Far out. That conversation I just said, that conversation is um, I need to start telling myself. The conversation needs to be with me and it needs to be that I need to start telling myself that I am freaking good enough and that I am worth it and that I do have value. And while I am learning that and while I am getting better at that, it still sits underneath and pulls me down often. So that's a conversation I really need to um, really need to have with myself. When do you feel most alive? Whoa, on stage, baby. Anything that I'm in front of people uh, performing, uh, that can be speaking, can be a workshop, it can be on stage singing, which I don't do at the moment. Well, that was another thing I didn't talk about, my throat. But anyway, talk about that when, you, when um, I interviewed Daniel. Um, when I'm on stage, the stage is my sandpit and I 
absolutely freaking love it and I'm so alive and right now I'm so alive because I'm talking and I could be just talking to myself <laughs> how fantastic is that I could just be talking to myself and I'm completely alive that is just freaking awesome gee I'm getting through these quicker than I thought so I might do a few more it's fantastic uh do big dreams require more luck than hard work oh wow what a big one um I don't think anything's luck uh uh, or coincidence I think it's all hard work but I'm going to say also that I think we need to work smarter not harder now I, I was born on a Saturday and I don't know if you know that um, a poem or whatever it is I, I don't know what it's called you know um, Monday's I'm going to get it wrong but just bear with me Sunday's child is full of grace Monday's child is full of face Tuesday's child blah 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 anyway whatever it is you have to look it up but it gets to Saturday's child and Saturday's child that's me works hard for a living well bloody hell I was told that little story when I was younger you know because it was just one of those things you said like a damn nursery rhyme and, and all my life I believed I'm a Saturday's child I have to work hard for a living and I've become a bloody workaholic and because of just that just that bloody saying in my life so I think you do have to work hard like like I really you, you know nobody becomes an overnight success and we have to we have to work to actually achieve things um and we have to do shit but um I, I think you've got to put your mind to it and you've got to do it but I'm also going to say that you have to know where you're headed and you have to stay on track and that's by knowing your why knowing what's driving you because if you don't know what's driving you you might as well go for luck because you might not even achieve it I don't even know if I answered that question, but I loved it. How are you creating a life well lived? Well, holy shit, everything I do is to make the world a better place. Every goddamn thing I do is about helping people, about um, empowering people, unlocking people and myself. I just want to be better and better. And I don't mean better like as in more perfect and more successful. I just want to be a better human being. I want to plant that bloody tree that I will never sit in the shade of because I want to make the world a better place for future generations. And and every single day, that's the reason I get up. And that gets me up because I think, wow, what can I do today? How can I make the world a better place today? So that's what I'm doing. And I reckon I'm going to go one more and then call it call it quits and this time I'm going to actually look at the cards and see if I can find something that I really like all right here's one and this will this will do when did you lose your ability to dream like a child wow I didn't I did not lose my ability to dream like a child a lot of people who know me will say oh my god you're like a little kid or like a big kid actually and it's true. And you know what? I'm bloody proud of that. And I know how to find child, childlike joy. I, I, I absolutely can and I absolutely love it. And I dream like a kid because I don't think anything's impossible. And I just love imagining and exploring and thinking how that could be possible. The child part that's been buddy taken from me is, and not taken by anybody else, it's just me, my interpretations has been that, 
when I was when we're all kids we all believe we can do anything and as we go through school and we're put through this bloody system of and not just school everywhere else and put through this system of competition and you know just competing with each other and if if you all don't learn the same way then you're you're stupid and you're really smart and we're all compared to each other and just this bloody to be honest it's a big bloody shithole and what happens is that we lose our magnificence and then we start believing that we're not good enough and we with that whole childhood innocence disappears and and yes I believe that that's happened to me except that I'm still hanging on to my childhood wonders and you know to to be honest I think that's part of my resilience as well is that I can I can think like a kid at any given moment and I just need to work out how to um, think like a kid still believing that I'm bloody magnificent and it's it's something I'm working on so Anyway, that's it. Now, this is my happy 100th episode, and it was quite deep, but it was quite fun, and it was very, I don't know, it was raw without being emotional. Most of the time, I start bawling my eyes out because I'm a bloody sook, and I didn't today. I actually feel like it's a real birthday celebration, and um, uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, and Honestly, if you want all those things I talked about, which I never have before, um, you know, team building the confidence program, get off the bench, you know, the community connect program where you can put leaders out and build projects. Bloody hell, get in touch with me because, you know, I'm really pushing this year to, to make a massive bloody impact because I want the world to be better. And if you know someone who's, who's freaking amazing, you know, who's done who's really pushed through challenges and done something and doing something for the world tell me about them because maybe they're a bloody good guest for my podcast and you know I've got some great people coming up too by the way and by the way on that I'll tell you that I've asked some amazing people will they be a guest like really top people and most of them have said no and so that's another part to you know resilience is a lot of people are going to say no and you just got to get used to it and it hurts but it is life and that that's just how it is so um so I hope you've enjoyed this and I hope I haven't bored the shit out of you I, I hope that you feel like you know me better because like I said before every episode's about everybody else and I don't really say much about really dig much into me but um hope you've really loved it and happy 100th and I'll catch you next week see ya Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode, just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.